Hello, this is Amy Medling, Certified Health Coach and Founder of PCOS Diva. And today we are going to be talking about low libido. I have been getting lots of emails and questions on Facebook over the last couple months from divas wondering wondering how they can increase their sex drive. And so I went to find the best expert out there, and I'm pleased to be talking to Dr. Jen Landa this morning. She's an OBGYN, and she is also the author of The Sex Drive Solution for Women, which is an Amazon bestseller, and the creator of a program called Rewire Your Desire. It helps women face life with renewed energy and passion. And Dr. Jen has been on Dr. Oz, Fox News, Oprah and uh, Oprah.com, L Women's Health, Shape Magazine, and many more um, media outlets. So I'm just really pleased to have you here with us today, Jen, Dr. Jen. Thanks so much, Amy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I, I would love for you to kind of tell us how did you become a sexpert, you know, being starting your career as an OBGYN, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. Um, yeah, sexpert, a little bit of a funny title, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but it, but it came hard won, I guess. Um, unfortunately for me, when I was only 28 years old, I was married only three years, I lost my sex drive. I was in my I was in my third year of residency, fourth year, actually I think I was in my fourth year right around there and meaning almost finishing my OBGYN residency, you know, about to be a full-fledged OBGYN. And, and what I discovered was like it, it was kind of, you know, it was a slow process over time. Like at first I just stopped initiating sex and then I stopped feeling like I wanted to have sex and started making excuses, you know, I've got a headache not tonight, honey, I've got a stomach ache, I, you know, I was, this, before you know it, I was, you know, seriously mm-hmm. having my period two times a month, <laughs> my husband <laughs> had been paying attention, he might have noticed that there, you know, that it wasn't maybe quite the truth, and, uh, or, or my favorite, trying to sneak into bed and, and close my eyes and pretend I was sleeping before he got in, so he didn't have a chance to ask me for sex, and, you know, um, it just got worse and worse until finally we were on a we were on vacation, which was a time where we usually, you know, we're more active intimately, and we were trying to get intimate, and it was really just uncomfortable and awkward and wasn't working. And my husband finally just started shouting, "What is going on? Do you not love me anymore? Are you not attracted to me anymore?" And and the weird part to me was like. I was like, nothing could be further from the truth. No, I love you, and 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 I'm attracted to you. I, I just I just don't want to have sex. I just plain didn't have any libido whatsoever, and the idea of even having sex it just it just didn't do anything for me at all. I felt kind of dead down below, and and it was um, it was emotionally really difficult because number one I was afraid I'd I'd lose my husband lose my marriage because you know maybe somebody else out there would go give him what I didn't really want to at that moment and and then the other thing that was so bad was that here I am I'm almost an OBGYN right I'm I'm like just about to be go out there in the world and take care of women and I had no idea how to fix my own problem because 
really nobody was talking about it. In my OBGYN training, there was almost nothing mentioned about it. And mm. that's why I find so many women, you know, women listening right now included, may find that they go to a GYN and they say, well, you know, that's just what happens when you get older. There's nothing you can do about it. But here I was 28 years old. Clearly I was not older and I was only married three years. So, like, you know, it wasn't like I was sick of them after 20 years. No, just kidding. I'm 20 years <laughs> married now. <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, so I, and I just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And so I really went on a hunt to try to figure it out. And that's when I learned about bioidentical hormones. And I learned more about hormones than I ever had learned in studying to be an OBGYN. And I learned about functional medicine. I learned about nutrition. I learned about all kinds of different things in my lifestyle and my habits that were causing me not to have a sex drive. But the number one thing that was killing my sex drive was being on the birth control pill. Mm. And that was really news to me. I was, you know, because they don't really talk much about that when you're, an OB, when you're learning to be an OBGYN. Of course, they encourage you to prescribe pills, and there's a zillion different pills on the market. And, they, you know, if, it, if there's any problem a woman's got, we've got a pill for that, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the way you're taught to practice medicine, really. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm not happy, that, you know, that I have the training that I had because it gave me a great foundation. But I'm also so thankful that I've been able to build on that and figure out really what the what sex drive solution, you know, it's not one solution. The thing is it's, you know, multiple solutions, and for every woman there's individualization to it. But the pill was a huge, huge sex robber for me. So women with PCOS, you know, as as you know, one of the first things that they're given is a prescription for the pill um, in order to manage the um, androgens um, and PCOS hormones. So, you know what so women that are listening now that that have low sex drive that are on the pill you know what what would your advice be get off the pill mm. <laughs> that is my advice and mm. i know that's not easy i know that's not easy advice so i'm not i'm not saying it flippantly um really you know there's so much to say here and you're and you're so right and it's it's really a, a to me it's an awful thing that that's the first thing that we do to to you women with PCOS because um you know yes it it seems to be like a miracle cure in a way because it decreases the androgens like you said so of course we know PCOS women with PCOS tend to have high androgens DHEA testosterone and and that's driving that's a driving factor behind the hair growth and the acne and all of that so and so what's really interesting about birth control pills is when you take when you take them they decrease your free testosterone and they but they decrease it so much that it might be so much that it might cause you to lose your libido but it even even worse than that it can go even deeper it can go it can block your testosterone so much that you lose your energy because testosterone, testosterone is a lot more than just libido. Testosterone is about energy, mood, memory. It can even play a role in self-confidence and self-esteem. It acts like our emotional shield. So, you know, like if you find yourself crying too easily, it can be low testosterone. 
Um, there's, you know, of course, building muscle, losing fat. There's so many different things that testosterone does. And so it's really interesting with PCOS women. These are women who are used to high testosterone levels, right? And so when you take somebody who's used to functioning at a very high level of something and you take them down to a very low level of something, yes, you're going to get rid of their acne and you're going to get rid of their of their hair growth maybe, but you might also inadvertently get rid of a lot of other things. Right. And sometimes it can be so severe. I have a, I have a friend, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Goldstein. He was my mentor in residency, and he became a specialist in vulvar conditions, just the vulva, believe it or not. And he sees women every day with vulvar pain and, and sexual pain disorders and things like that, and one of the things that he says, he says the, num- the, the birth control pill is the number one endocrinopathy, which means hormone problem, that women have. And it's <laughs> because what he sees all the time is women who have vaginas that look like menopausal vaginas when they're only in their 20s, 30s, and it's because of the birth control pill. Because of the oh. low testosterone can even cause atrophy of the vagina, which is, you know, dryness and and even shrinking of the tissues. The birth control pill can even shrink your clitoris by 20%. So it's insane. And honestly, Amy, this is why I had to stop being a a gynecologist because I didn't want to prescribe birth control pills anymore. And I had a huge practice full of women, a lot of women, you know, young women, because I was a young woman, and so I had a lot of young college-age women who were coming to me for birth control pills, and, you know, it would have been way too much to try to tell them, you know, you need to get off your birth control pills. But, you know, hopefully the women listening to us right now are more motivated because, you know, they've had hormone issues at this point, and and they want to be in optimal hormone shape. And birth control pills, I am telling you, it's just not the way to get there. Besides blocking your free testosterone, they have the the one of the big problems I have with them too is that they're the the progesterone component is really a progestin, and all mm-hmm. of these different progestins are artificial forms of progesterone. And what they do is they block your own progesterone. And women with PCOS already usually have low progesterone to start with. And progesterone is yet another beautiful, wonderful hormone that we don't want to suppress because progesterone helps us with sleep, it helps us feel less overwhelmed, it helps our mood, it helps our focus and concentration. So, you know, we go on the birth control pill and in one fell swoop we kill our progesterone, we kill our testosterone, and those are super essential to us living a a normal life, to just feeling good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I think the women out there listening that are worried about, well, how do I manage my PCOS without birth control? Well, I can say that I I used to use birth control, and I came off of it for a lot, you know, this being one of the, the big reasons, like you, Dr. Jen. Um, and it took a little while and the right sort of approach and philosophy, but now, you know, I don't take any meds, and I can manage my PCOS um, beautifully where my labs are all normal. And there are many, many women that, you know, follow my protocol that can do as well as the, the same. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want people to be afraid of coming off of the, the pill, but I know a big question is, well, okay, if I'm if I'm not taking the pill, then what form of contraception should I use that is, um, you know, okay for women with PCOS? 
Yeah, of course, Amy. That's always the first question that I get after mm-hmm. I go diatribe about about how I don't like birth control pills. You know, how do I protect myself from pregnancy? So really my number one go-to is the IUD, and that would yeah. be the non-hormonal IUD. So the copper IUD, it's also called the Paragard. It's a 10-year IUD, and as a matter of fact, there's new research that shows if you get the if you get this IUD placed after 35 years old, that you probably never need to replace it. You can just leave it in until menopause, um, you know, and it will protect you and and all of that. So you know, an IUD really is one of the best choices, and IUDs now can even be used in women who've never had babies. And there's because um, there's we used to think that we shouldn't put them in women who've never had babies. But now we are even comfortable doing that as gynecologists. And it's just, it's the most actually underutilized, best form of contraception because it works as well as tying your tubes. So it's extremely reliable, way more reliable than the pill, number one. Number two, it's very, very safe. You know, way, way back in the, I think, 60s and 70s, IUDs got a bad name because there were all these different IUDs and they came in different shapes and sizes and there were there were problems with them. So they've come back on the market over the last 40, 50 years very, um, very slowly and, and very few of them. So they've been tested for a long time now. And now the World Health Organization really recommends it as the best form of birth control pill for the, I mean, best form of birth control for the world. And... Um, and really, that's what I strongly recommend for women. If you don't want to have, if you want to have a baby within the next year or two, then I don't recommend the IUD. Then I would recommend just do barrier methods like um, the condom, the diaphragm, things like that. But if you, you know, if it's at least two years out of your future, out in your future, then I would truly recommend an IUD. Okay. Okay. So a woman comes off of the pill, and she, you know, has a, a, a reliable form of um, contraception. Uh, contraceptive. So how does she go about reclaiming, you know, her her sex drive? What would would the steps be? Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of different things to losing your libido is what I've found. I look at, I look at sort of a little acronym that losing your libido is harsh. So harsh is my little acronym for remembering some of the things that I want to think about when I'm helping a woman get her sex drive back or when I helped myself get my sex drive back. So the H, so the H and the harsh is for habits. The A is for attitude. The R is for relationship. The S is for stress. And the H is for hormones. And that kind of helps me put in perspective basically everything that you need to do to get your sex drive back. So in terms of habits, um, one of the most important things I realized that I was doing was I just I just wasn't taking care of myself in a really good way to maintain my sex drive. So, um, so in terms of my habits, I, I call it the pro libido lifestyle, and I walk through this in in ex- extreme detail in my Rewire Your Desire program. But just to give you a taste of it, here's a few little habits that I think are really important for you to put in place. One of the most important habits, I think, in your entire life to manage your PCOS, to have more energy in your life, to have a better libido, to lose weight is, it's like, what is it? What is it, right? Eating first thing in the morning. Eating Mm -hmm. within 
eating within an hour of getting up could not be more important. And believe it or not, it will help your sex drive too. Yeah, and it's, it's important for us with PCOS because we have to get that blood sugar regulated first thing in the morning. Um, Absolutely. So, so I know I love protein smoothies. That's kind of my go-to breakfast. Um, so what, what do you like in the morning? Amy, I'm a shake girl, too. Protein yeah. protein smoothies are absolutely, to me, the way to go. I have one at least five days a week, I would say. So, you know, you're busy, and it's easy. Right. You know, I, I have two kids, a husband, practice. You know, I have every, you know, so much going on that, for me, the protein shake is the easiest way for me to get all my nutrition. I throw my veggies in there. I throw my chia seed, my flaxseed, my 100% cocoa. I love, love my shakes. And I just um, I just came out with my own endless energy shakes, and for my with my new endless energy program is my my new program after Rewire Your Desire, and I couldn't be more excited about that because I just think shakes are really the way to go. Yeah. But um, so because one of the most important things is to make sure you're getting protein, and you know and yes it's it's even more important for you PCOS girls. But it's super important, really, for everybody, in my opinion, because you're not going to have good energy if you don't do that. And if your energy stinks, really, there is no way you're going to have a good sex drive. So to me, I started to look at sex drive in a way as the top of a pyramid. You know, I started to look at women's or women's health as like a pyramid with sex drive on the tippy top. So it's kind of like bad analogy for this crowd, but it's like the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake, you know. And so it's the, I find it's kind of the first thing to go and maybe the last thing to come back. Because I didn't tell you, but after I lost my sex drive and it took me a long time to figure out how to get it back, then I lost my energy, then I lost my stress tolerance, you know, so it just kind of kept going downhill. And then we have to build back up. So, it, you know, it depends on where you are. But really, foundationally, your habits, what you do every day, is huge, and eating breakfast, eating protein within an hour of getting up is a huge important thing. And, you know, of course, there are other ways to go. You could do eggs, turkey, bacon, something like that. Um, I love quinoa. Um, there's, you know, there's all kinds of different choices if you don't love protein smoothies. But I'm, I'm with you, Amy. I think protein smoothies <laughs> are super, super great. Yeah, and I think you're right. You know, it's these small little things done consistently over time that creates the new the new you um and it is the yeah. small i love that you said the habits so what other habits um so another habit i think is yeah another habit i think is really important you know i see all the time you know women trying to get in shape i i call them the cardio queens you know they're on the elliptical or the or the treadmill for 45 minutes, an hour, you know, and they're, and they're going and going and going and sweating and sweating and sweating. And what people don't realize is that actually can create a hormone imbalance. And the hormone imbalance it can create, is it can cause you to have excessive drain on your adrenal glands. So either you make too much cortisol, there's, there's different stages that your adrenals can be in, you can be burning up, burning lower, burning out is the way that I look at it in my endless energy program. But the bottom line is draining too much on our adrenals is never a good thing. And mm -hmm. when we and when we exercise 
do like extensive cardio. And um, and I know because I was doing this for a while. I was doing the half marathons. I started yes. doing triathlons. And you know what? I was just exhausted and depleted all the time. And I was not really in great shape at all because, interestingly, so you, you get high cortisol when you do these ty- this type of training. And then the high cortisol doesn't recover itself. It takes days and days sometimes. And, of course, people who are training for races, you know, they, they, don't, they don't take days and days off. So they don't have time to recover. So they've got this chronic high cortisol. And what cortisol does is it eventually it can, it can eat away your muscle. It can eat away your bone. It can cause high blood sugar, high blood pressure. So it does all kinds of bad things. And it, it thins your skin, your hair, your nails. So it does all kinds of nasty stuff to us. And the other thing that's interesting is that kind of exercise also depletes testosterone. So when you look at a marathon runner, you know, the people who win the New York the New York Marathon and stuff like that, they're, I mean, frankly, emaciated. I think they don't look yeah. good at all, and they're not my model of who I want to look like, you know. And when I realized all this, I said, you know, there must be a better way. And also, I just didn't have the time anymore. I was putting like 12 hours a week into that kind of training. So I changed my whole training outlook and, and started to do just half-hour training three, four times a week. But the half hour that I do now is burst training or high-intensity interval training, HIT training, mm-hmm. they call it. And that's what I really recommend, doing your exercise in short bursts. Because, yes, it will raise your cortisol, but it will come down much more quickly. And what HIT and burst training do is raise testosterone. Now, I know I know, PCOS ladies, you don't want to raise your testosterone, I know. Um, but you don't want to raise your cortisol either. So doing doing things that lower cortisol as well, you know, so I would do some burst training, but I would also make sure to incorporate some yoga or something stretching, something relaxing, something, something, but yoga particularly has been shown to lower cortisol. So, you know, you want to get a, a handle on your hormones by, like you said, Amy, that the little habits that you do every day. Right, right. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of body pump. I love like the the muscle building using yeah. the, the burst training and I like Pio too. I um you know you get that that strength and but also kind of the stretching and and the that mind body connection. And yeah, like you I used to run I was a chronic runner and that's when I was really suffering the most with my PCOS and it just seems so counterintuitive that you know you want to lose weight, you want to you know, be doing this cardio, but it's really making things worse, or it definitely was for me. So, yeah, so, yeah thank you for bringing that up. So we talked, you know, about um, about cortisol. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about the, the S in your harsh, um, it, the stress. So mm-hmm. how, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit more about how can we de-stress, um, how can we lower that cortisol? Yeah, so the stress, is such an important part that it gets its own letter in my harsh acronym because um, so the cortisol, you know, we just talked about cortisol very briefly. There's so much more we could say on it. But one of the things to know about cortisol that's very interesting is it interferes with your testosterone. So you've got this, um, you've got this very delicate balance, right, when you've got PCOS because you, you want to have less testosterone, but you don't want to have no testosterone. And um, and the interesting thing is that um, 
cortisol blocks testosterone to some extent. So when you're stressed, you tend to make more cortisol. And you make more cortisol until your body is so stressed chronically that you don't make more cortisol. And so that's an interesting thing with the adrenals. Basically, your adrenal glands are these small glands that sit on top of your kidneys, and that, that's how we make cortisol. They, we make cortisol with the adrenal glands. And so, and what they're really meant for is the fight or flight, right? You know, a panic situation, cortisol goes up, adrenaline goes up, but then those things are supposed to go down, right? You know, earlier man was running from a saber-toothed tiger, right? So either he got eaten or he got away one way or the other, and, and it was over. And so cortisol is really about these short bursts. And that's why I think the burst training exercise is more suitable than the long endurance training. But um, but the problem is that most of us, and I'm sure you listening, you're living at like 80% saber-toothed tiger attack all the time every day. And when you're living under that kind of stress, it depletes your body. And And the last thing you're going to want to do is have sex when you're stressed out like that. So yoga we just talked about was one thing. So number one, you've got to pick some some sort of relaxation technique to incorporate into your life. And for me, Amy, this is my growth edge. You know, I'm really good about my diet. I'm really good about exercise. The relaxation part is the part that I have the toughest the toughest time incorporating. And so I just got a new device that I'm really excited about. Do you know the um, the heart mass device? Yeah, I've I've wondered about that. So tell us about the heart mass uh, monitor. Yeah, so so this is really really cool. So what heart mass does? It's a little um, a little clip that you clip on your ear and you put it in your iPhone, and you get the you download their free app, and it measures your heart rate variability. That's what it's called, HRV, heart rate variability. What's so fascinating to me about this is. Um, you know, at first I, I said, oh, what is this? What are they talking about, you know? And then, number one, I read that there's, and I found that there was a ton of studies that that link heart rate variability to stress. So if you have good heart rate variability, that means your heartbeat, let's say, will be first at 67, then at 72, then at 69, then at 71. So it varies a lot. You don't get the same number over and over, like 72, 72, 72, 72. That's a sign of stress. And then what I realized, like in an aha moment, that's what we do when we we look at babies' heart rates. You know, I used to be an OBGYN, and when we would monitor fetal heart rate strips, what we were looking for was variability. And that's how we knew that the baby wasn't stressed inside. And when the baby stopped having a good variability in the heart rate, that's when we knew we had a stressed baby. And so the same thing is true for us. And so this device, you can with this device, you can measure your heart rate variability. And then what it does is it teaches you to it teaches you to improve your heart rate variability by breathing into your heart. The idea is to take you know, we take deep belly breaths and a lot of us have learned how to take deep belly breaths, which is excellent. But even more, this syncs up your belly breath into they, they talk about breathing into your heart and thinking calm and peaceful and relaxing thoughts, and then you can see your heart rate variability improve, and it's like a biofeedback mechanism because you oh, can see cool. yourself making the improvement. Yeah, and it's just like a, you can set the program for however long you want, but it's like a five-minute like five thing, 
And, and, you know, I guess me being one of those competitive type of people, when I'm looking at it on the screen and I'm seeing myself make the change, it actually mm-hmm. motivates more than just doing it on my own, I guess. And another thing I love is guided meditation. So I always say Google a guided meditation. Just Google the okay. words guided meditation, click on videos, and there are tons and tons of wonderful free guided meditation videos to use out there. And I think those are, you know, that's, you know, Base one, you've got to start with relaxation techniques. But beyond that, I would love for people listening, I want you to really take this time, this moment, right after you stop listening, I want you to sit down and think about, write down all the things in your life that are stressing you. And then in the next column, look at how you can minimize some of those things in your life. Because back to habits again, even a lot of the things that stress us out have become habits. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, this woman, Monica, she was, you know, she's a mom. She was working in her family business as, you know, she, was, she took over for, as the bookkeeper in her, you know, family business because they'd lost an employee because of the downturn in the economy. So believe me, this woman has a lot of stress on her, right? But what she did upon talking at length I found out that she drove around a lot because she drove her kids from place to place to place, and she would always have on the financial and economic and political news. And she would get herself so worked up that she would actually pound the steering wheel and yell at the radio. Now, what do you think that's doing to Monica's cortisol, right? Right. And, and it was just a habit, though. And I said to her, what would happen if you put on, like, a spa radio station? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> Try it out. <laughs> and when she came back, she said it made the most amazing change in her life that she was able to just shut that news off because, you know, it was just making her miserable and upset. So there wasn't any point, you know, to her listening to it. So, you know, that's just an example but some of, of a thing in her life that was a habit. But you know what? Sometimes you got to realize that it's even people in your life that are stressing you out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's really time to start putting some boundaries in place and start taking care of yourself. Because when you've got people in your life that are stressing you out, odds are that you're a really nice and nourishing person and that you're trying so hard to be nice that you're sacrificing yourself in the process. I know because I've been there and I've walked tons of patients through this as well. And I just really want you, if you're listening, to really just take this time to evaluate what are your stressors and how can you put some distance between you and some of those stressors. You know, I love that you approach this from such a holistic um, point of view. I I talk a lot about divas and that they need to practice, a diva practices extreme self-care. And you have to take the time put yourself first so that then you can serve others. Um and I and I love the fact that you kind of brought up this idea of of using all of your senses. You know, the, the woman in Monica in the car listening, you know, the the sounds of the spa music can really lower your stress. I know one of the the favorite things that I like to do is I take in a detox Epsom salt bath and I have my um spa serious music going, my candles lit, and, you know, reading a good book. And there's just nothing better for me to kind of unwind and lower my cortisol. So, 
you know, I love that idea of incorporating all of your senses as well. I love I I love it because I do the same thing, Amy. I do the Epsom salt bath with the spa music. Love it, love it. So yeah, incorporating your senses, that's a big piece of what I call the pro libido lifestyle. That's part of the habit. So one of the things that I find that we do and everybody knows, you go to a really nice restaurant, you pay all this money for a great meal, and how often do you really pay in exquisite attention to how the food really tastes, mm. how it really feels on your tongue, how it smells, the aromas. You know, if you really do that, you can almost seriously, at a good restaurant at least, have like a food gasm. You know, if you really <laughs> pay enough attention to what what's surrounding you. And I find in women trying to bring their sexuality back and their sensuality back, paying attention to your senses is so important. And one of the things I give women a quiz to figure out which senses are your strongest senses. You know, is it sight? Is it touch? Is it sound? So for me, you know, sound, we just talked about how important that can be, and both of us love the spa music on Sirius. Me, I, I totally do too. But when it comes time to get more intimate, I love uh, something called chill-out music, and they do have a station on Sirius for it. It's kind of lounge music for, you know, anybody who's been to a lounge, basically. It's that loungy type of music. For me, it really, you know, sex is all about, one of the ways I teach women to flip their sex switch, so to speak, it's all about mindfulness. It's all about being able to be present in the moment. And there are actually scientific studies that prove that mindfulness training, training to be present in the moment, helps, helps with sexuality. And they've shown it in college students, and they've shown it in women who are survivors from gynecologic cancers. So it really works for everybody. So mindfulness is how women can flip their sex switch, but the senses, the senses are how you can anchor yourself in that present moment. So mm-hmm. for me... Without the music, I find it much harder. You know, my mind will wander. And, you know, unfortunately, all of us have probably been in the situation where you're trying to be intimate, but you remember that, oh, my gosh, you forgot to pack soccer cleats for your son's <laughs> game in the morning, and you're like, ah, I shouldn't be thinking about that right now. You know, And your, your mind is all over the place, right? And I find that really tuning into your senses is one of the best, ways to anchor yourself in the moment. So for me, the music is huge, and for a lot of women it is. And also a a big trigger for me and for a lot of women is sense of smell. So Mm -hmm. one of the things I really recommend is buy your man some essential oils that you would love to smell on him, you know, like sandalwood or amber. You know, there's lots of them that are really sexy. You can use them, as you know, in your massage oil. And having that that manly scent, you know, around you and, you know, and the music surrounding you, it can help keep you much more in the moment. Or maybe you're more about the visuals, so make sure you've got some good candlelight so you can see what you're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, you just really have to explore your own sense world. And I think that, you know, in our busy, hectic lives, we, we don't explore it enough. And that that's one of my the bath that you just mentioned before, Amy. That's one of my assignments I give to my to my students. I want you to take a bath and get in that sensual frame of mind and light the candles and experiment with which music and which scents 
turn you on. And, you know, and whether you, whether you do anything intimate in the tub or not, you know, just even getting into that mindful state, being in the moment, is so helpful and translates so well to the bedroom with your partner. Yeah, and I think, too, putting on something that makes you feel beautiful, um, I mean, a lot of it really gets back to self-love again. You know, you have to love yourself enough to treat yourself, you know, to buy something pretty for yourself and, and make yourself feel beautiful. Um, it, I think that goes a long way as well. I couldn't agree more. You know, self-image is one of the big topics I talk about in in the program as part of the attitude you know, you really want to, you want to, you want to cultivate a sexy attitude. And a lot of women, unfortunately, don't feel good about themselves and don't, like you said, you know, buy something nice for themselves. And I think the most important thing is to really pay attention to the messages that you're sending yourself. I think most of us have self-talk going on all day long that we don't even notice. You know, I know I do it all the time. I say, I, I'll do something that I think is stupid, and I'll say, oh, Jennifer, that was so stupid. And my husband always says, don't talk about the woman I love that way. Aww. And I love that he says that because mm-hmm. it reminds me that we shouldn't do that. And I want you, if you're listening, next time you look in the mirror, first pay attention to what it is you're saying to yourself. And if you're saying things that are mean or nasty or things that you wouldn't say to your best friend, Change it. Stop. Say things that you would say to your best friend. And you know what? We all have something that we love about ourselves. So play up that part. You know, when when if you go to the store and you do get something nice for yourself, play up the part of your body that you love the most. And then you send your partner's, you know, eyes there too. Yeah. And you feel no, and I, you feel better about yourself. I love all of your your thoughts and insights, and they're just so aligned with what I try to teach women with PCOS. I'd really love to hear more about your Rewire Your Desire program. It sounds fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit more? Sure. Um, So Rewire Your Desire is a six-week program where I essentially walk you through all of these steps that that we were just talking about. So we go deeply into the habits that I want you to have, the things that I want you to do every day to help you with your sexuality, the attitude, all about that. Relationships, which which are a huge, huge part. When they've, the scientific studies all show that actually relationship is probably the number one factor. So there's a huge, huge part around that. And then, of course, stress. And then, of course, hormones. I teach women all about the acronym PROTECT YOUR HORMONES. And PROTECT stands for progesterone, oxytocin, thyroid, estrogen, cortisol, testosterone. So there's a whole bunch of hormones that really go into keeping our sexuality alive. And so I teach women how to protect their hormones and what they need to know about each of these hormones and natural ways that they can boost and balance these hormones and because I think that is just so important. And, you know, it's all using the holistic things we've been talking about, including I, I use a lot of supplements in my practice. So I discuss the supplements that can help with um, sexuality in the program. And um, 
And I give you just practical, easy ways. You know, people have written me afterwards, and I, I love when people do it with their partner especially. They, they say that their partner just has so much of a better understanding of what they're going through and, and how to actually connect with them better sexually. And they've, you know, written me about amazing experiences they've had. And, and it's really exciting to be able to help women with this, you know, mm-hmm. since I came from a place where I had no idea to help my, how to help myself. So now it's really a passion of mine to help other women with it. So I'm going to post, I guess, a link to your Rewire Your Desire for, for listeners. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely going to be checking that out. And then maybe you could just quickly tell us a little bit about your book, The Sex Drive Solution for Women. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, The Sex Drive Solution for Women was the first thing that I came out with you know, for the public to help them with their sex drive. And um, I talk a lot in there about bioidentical hormones and how important bioidentical hormones can be for women going through different transitions, um, especially the menopause transition. But I also talk a lot about women who have symptoms way, way before menopause. You know, I run into too many women in their 20s and 30s who are having symptoms that sound like perimenopause symptoms. And they go to their doctors and they say, I don't know if this is possible, but I think I'm in menopause. And their doctors say, oh, no, you're fine. Everything's fine. And when they do some tests and everything's fine, everything's fine. And really, but really they're not fine because there's optimal levels of hormones and there's proper hormone balance. Like like the big problem of estrogen dominance is a huge problem that we that not only women need to be educated about gynecologists need to be educated about unfortunately it's not understood that that's the main cause behind fibroids endometriosis all kinds of problems that women wind up having hysterectomies for and they mm-hmm. wind up worse off a lot of times so you know there's just and and women with PCOS tend to have estrogen dominance as well and right that's right. that's a big part of you know, what goes on with them, and and then they wind up with fibroids and endometriosis, and so it's kind of a long, you know, long chain of events, but it all, you know, can be traced back, and so that's a lot about what I talk about in the book, a lot of, a lot of hormones, and a lot of, um, a lot of changing, you know, your habits and your senses and all of the other stuff we were just chatting about, you know, I go into more detail on all of that, too. Well, this work that you do is so important, Dr. Jen. I mean, we, we're we not hearing about it in our OBGYN office. Um, and, you know, it's really up to us as, as women to become educated so that we can be more empowered to, you know, do what we have to for our health and our life. So I'm so glad that you're a resource out there for women. Uh, and I really encourage all of our listeners to uh, I'll post all of Dr. Jen's info below this recording. So please check out her Rewire Your Desire program, her website, her book. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. It was great to be here. And thank you, everybody listening. Until next time, bye-bye.